Today's class. Are there any questions or clarifications from the last couple of previous classes? If so, we can just pick them up. If not, then we shall begin. So we're on chapter 12, the four yogas, the four spiritual disciplines. And in the last couple of classes, we discussed yeah. the four spiritual disciplines. We said we are separated from the pure consciousness, God, our real personality, due to our vasnas, our desires. So these four yogas have been prescribed to help us remove these vasnas, these desires. What are the four yogas? Bhakti yoga, path of devotion. Dhyana yoga, path of knowledge. Dharma yoga, path of action. And Hatha yoga, path of compulsion. Yoga means to join. I'm just recapping from last couple of classes. Yoga means to join. Join the To something you have separated from. What have you separated from? The self, your true personality. So we're trying to get back to that. So all attempts to get back to the self is called yoga in Sanskrit, religion in English. So this is our mission in life, to reunite with our original personality. So the four yogas are given because there are four categories of human beings. And the, these categories are based on the quality of the minds, the quality of the minds and intellect, which it makes up their inner nature. So you take up a particular path, discipline based on your nature. Now you're not, not going to be primarily only one, it will be a mixture, but there will be one which is greater, which, which will link with your personality more than any of the others. So the emotional nature, bhakti yoga, this person's mind is stronger than his intellect. So it's the path of devotion, bhakti yoga. The second category person is a person with an intellectual nature. In this person, the intellect is more developed than the mind. Half of knowledge, jnana yoga. Third type is one with active nature. Both the mind and the intellect are equally developed. So for this person, it's karma yoga, half of action. And the last one, hatha yoga, for a person who is neither of the three, is lazy, indolent, 
So the path of yoga is given to him, physical postures, so he can wake them up. Then last class, we took up the first yoga path of devotion, bhakti yoga. So remember, this is for the person whose mind is stronger than the intellect. So we said bhakti yoga is not a blind belief in a particular god, excluding other gods or mechanical rituals. Today's prayer has been reduced for one's own selfish purpose. Please give me peace or material things, wealth, etc. Whatever you want in life, you have to work for it. You can't just pray to God for it. You have to put in effort yourself. We said people have lost the meaning of religion. It has been reduced to a blind faith, an attachment in a personality, or a place of worship, or an idol. An idol is not God. Performing rituals does not take you to God. Dead body of a holy person is not God. Temple, church, mosque is not God. These are all ideals to take you to God. You use them to take you to the next level. Temples and other places of worship are an environment that helps you think of God. You don't have to go to them if you, can't, if you can think of God without them. They're just tools. I got that Baruka thing on my foot. Sangeeta, can you turn your mic off, please? Where is God? Said God is within you. So the, we don't need to look for him externally. No doubt he is everywhere. But why not look where he's closest? We also said that we, we need to be, appreciate what we have. We have been given so much in life. But we are ungrateful. We're ignorant of this fact. We have oxygen for free. We can't live without it. Water for free. This amazing body that repairs itself, you get for free. But instead of appreciating that, we say we want more. So who does all this? True devotion is the understanding and surrender to this unknown force that is present in the world. This force that makes all things function. To identify and become one with this all-pervading reality, this is devotion. Not what has been done these days. It comes from knowledge and understanding. So we concluded by saying, who is a true devotee, a true bhakta, true bhakta of God? And we refer to Gita chapter 12, verse 13 to 20. It says, a true devotee is someone who has these 35 qualities. And we went through some of these qualities. Please refer to them uh, in the book. You need to develop these 35 qualities that represents a true devotee, bhakta. 
The real path to devotion is the eradication of the ego, unfolding the self. You understand the nature of life, the divinity in all. That's true devotion. So that's what we've covered so far in this chapter. Is there any clarifications, any questions? Yeah, brings everyone to the same point. Good. So today we take up the second path, which is Jnana Yoga, half of knowledge. So this path is for intellectuals. The intellect is stronger than the mind. Magna is going to kindly read for us today. Thank you. Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge. Jnanam means knowledge, and Jnana Yoga is the path of knowledge designed for persons in the intellectual category. It is meant for those who inquire into the mystery of life and the world. Who am I? How did this world come about? What is the origin of beings? Who is God? The path of knowledge finds answers to these questions. Jnana Yoga is not mere erudition and scholarship in religious literature, not cramming spiritual knowledge from textbooks, precepts and preceptors. True knowledge arises out of an internal discipline of reflection and contemplation on the eternal truths. Scriptures and sermons would play a vital part in your spiritual development, provided you think originally on the subject. Reflect upon the truths therein until you assimilate, absorb them. As you absorb the knowledge, you apply it practically in all walks of life. You begin to question what is permanent and impermanent in life, what is eternal and ephemeral. Distinguish the real from the unreal. This discipline has been brought out by one potent advice by the poet philosopher Shankaracharya. Nitya anitya viveka vichara which means reflecting on the distinction between the eternal and the ephemeral. Thank you, Megna. So, path of knowledge, Gyanoga. This path is for the intellectual who questions and inquires to the origins of life, the origins of the world. Who is God? What is God? What is the meaning of God? Who am I? What is my purpose? What is this world? How did it come about? So people who ask these questions, this path is for them. Because this path, Jnana Yoga, provides the answers. What's the difference between a person in this category and a person in the bhakti yoga, who follows bhakti yoga. Any idea? Any idea? Deepa. 
Prasanna Bhakti Yoga is more mind-led. Yeah. So Which are, means? Yeah, just follow. Just follow. So what they what do they not do? They don't question. They don't question. So Bhakta, a devotional person, following the path of devotion, they do not question. They just accept God blindly. Is mind-led, as Deepa said. No questioning, no reasoning. Person on this path, questions, reasons. If a child who's intellectual and ch children who ask questions, ask the devotional person, Mom, who is God? Mom will say, don't ask silly questions. God is God. Just bow down. Devotional person. You see the difference? A person on this path, path of knowledge, just being devotional is not enough for them. They may be devotional, but just being devotional is not enough for them. They want answers. They want to understand. They need reason, logic to satisfy them. They need to explain to them what God is. You see the distinction, yeah? You see the difference? So how is this knowledge gained? How is this knowledge gained? Anyone? Tamesh. Question. Question, yeah. Study. Study. And reflection. Reflection. Thank you. Reflection and contemplation on the truths of life. You need to gain the knowledge what we're studying here, what you read, reflect on it, absorb it. Only when you absorb it can you apply it in your life. Otherwise it stays as knowledge. You may have a lot of knowledge, but you're not living by any of it. It's a waste. Only when you absorb it reflect by reflection, contemplation, can you live by it. So a person who has knowledge, a person on this path, he understands what is real and what is unreal. We're going to go into more detail. What is real and what is unreal? You start questioning. You gain an awareness in life. What is permanent and impermanent? So a person who questions this, is a jnani, a person with true knowledge. What would he question? What is real and what is unreal? Any ideas? What is real and unreal? What is real and unreal? Yeah. So we know that we go through three different states, the waking state, the sleeping state, deep sleep. Yeah. You say I, but what is the I? The I is the self. So we realize that everything we're seeing is illusional world. Yeah. But the self is the real. It's a constant. Perfect. What else? Anything else? What is real and unreal? It says a person with wisdom, person with knowledge, understands the difference between permanent and impermanent, real and unreal. Shankacharya said, Sankacharya, 800 AD, 
great philosopher, spiritual person. He wrote Bajagavindam, which we studied. He said, Nitya Anitya Viveka Vichara, which means reflecting on the distinction between the eternal and ephemeral, meaning the unreal. So when you start contemplating what is real and unreal, then you gain knowledge of life. What is eternal and what is temporary? It's not just scholarship, mastering of textbooks. Someone may be able to recite all the verses in the Gita inside out, but they don't understand the depth of the Gita. They have not absorbed the knowledge. They're not living by it. They don't have wisdom. You see the difference? Only when you absorb it does it become wisdom, does you live by it. So even coming to classes, you may gain knowledge, but to understand and absorb it, you need to reflect on it, study it, think about it. Any clarifications? Okay, make that paragraph two, please. We must therefore examine what is unchanging in the changing phenomena of the world. What remains constant in the inconstant factors of life? Observe your own life's journey, how it passes through various facets from childhood through old age. Your personality is in a constant flux of change, never static. Yet you point to yourself and say, this is me. This height, weight, this name, fame, is me. Little realizing that the moment you point your finger at yourself, you have already changed. There can be no fixation of your personality. Nevertheless, you go on declaring, I am a child, I am a boy, I am a man, I am an old man. The personality moves on, but the I remains constant. So this is one aspect of real and unreal. You say, I'm a child, I'm a boy, I'm a man, I'm a woman. These are all impermanent changing factors of life. The only constant is the I, the permanent. The child, the boy, the man, the woman, they're all changing. He said, the minute you point at yourself, you've already changed. Only the eye is the permanent factor. So what does a Gyani do? He concentrates on the eye rather than the expression, rather than the personality. He understands the personality is changing, but the same eye remains. Only the I is the permanent real. The I am, meaning boy, girl, man, woman, is the un impermanent, unreal. So in future, when someone says, who are you? What do you answer? Who are you? You say, I'm the self. Yourself and myself are one. Um, you don't say I'm Kevil. That's the impermanent. 
you with me? Don't say I am five foot seven. I'm an Indian. All those are impermanent. The changing. In life, you have a choice. You can either concentrate on the body, concentrate on the mind, or concentrate on the intellect. These are all constantly changing. Impermanent aspect of your personality. These are the impermanent aspects of your personality. We can concentrate on the I, the self. Then you are a spiritual person. This is the permanent, unchanging factor in your personality. So Gyani knows the difference. He knows I am not this body, mind and intellect. I am the self. He knows that. Does that make sense? This is the main difference between Gyani and Bhakta. Gyani questions, he needs answers. Intellectually, he has to explain what God is. <clears throat> Any clarifications? Can everyone turn their mics off, please? So that's one aspect. The body, mind, intellect is changing, the eye is permanent. Let's look at another aspect of what's permanent and what's impermanent. The same eye assumes three distinct states of consciousness as a waker, dreamer, and deep sleeper. There are three different personalities, but you declare, I am the person in the waking state. I am the person in the dream. I'm the person in sleep. That I, the constant factor which runs through the three states, is the Supreme Self. So this is another um, area of the difference between the real and unreal. The I also present in all three states of consciousness. You say, I am the waker. Right now you are all the waker. Tonight when you sleep, you say, I am the dreamer. I am the deep sleeper. The I is the constant, the reality. The other states are unreal because they are always changing. Anything changing cannot be real. The I is the supreme consciousness, the true personality, God. So this is what a Gyani does. He concentrates on the, the real, not the unreal, the permanent, not the impermanent. Bella, make sense? So if you ask these questions, then you're a jnani. If you pray without asking questions, you're a bhakta. Any questions? Did you, hit, do you see the difference between the two? What's permanent and what's impermanent? Hema, you see that you hear, you see the difference? They concentrate on what's real and not on what's unreal. Ravi. The path of knowledge helps you develop the awareness of that one reality 
in the kaleidoscope patterns of life. Recognize the unity in diversity, the one self pulsating in every facet of life. You must develop an awareness of the divinity that pervades everywhere. Make good use of spiritual study and reflection to probe into the self that you are. Keep your thoughts in your divine center while you function in the world. Never let yourself slip out of yourself. Just as fishes live in the medium of water, birds in the medium of air, so you live in the medium of the divine consciousness. That consciousness is your real self. Remember, you are the self at all times. Revel in yourself. You will soon rise above your worldly attachment and entanglement and reach the state of self-realization. That's it. That's all you have to do. Follow what Ravi said and you're there. Ravi, you've just given everyone the solution. Half of knowledge helps you develop the awareness of that one reality in the kaleidoscopic patterns of life. Recognize the unity, meaning the oneness in all the different things, all in all the different people, different animals, different living beings. Recognize that one thing that keeping them, making them believe, making them what they are that living force, you recognize that, you're there. The one self pulsating in every facet of life. So you have to develop this awareness, this divinity everywhere. So this scriptural study, reflection, it helps you keep your thoughts in that higher. Otherwise, you get involved, you get involved in the world. So to keep you constantly thinking of that higher, we need the, this knowledge, the scriptures, this reflection. Don't let yourself thought slip out of the thought of the self. It says, fishes live in the medium of water. Birds in the medium of air. So just like them, we live in the medium of the consciousness. Remember, you're the self at all times. See, if you do this, it raises your personality. It takes you away from this attachment, this entanglement. This path of knowledge helps you discover this I, the supreme reality, God. It then helps you live in the world with the knowledge of the self, your real personality. Whatever you do in life, your thoughts are on the self within. I'm not this body, I'm not this mind, I'm not this intellect, I'm the self. You've got to constantly remember that while you're functioning. So this path 
this constant reminder, this constant understanding raises your personality, leads you to self-realization, raises you above your attachments and entanglements. What are your attachments and entanglements? What are our attachments and entanglements? Any idea? What are we attached to? Yeah, Ravi. Um, so Maya people. Yeah. People, family. Um, yeah. Material yeah. stuff. Material stuff. Magna? The things you like. Things you like. What else? Name, fame, wealth, power. What have we said? This is all what? What is it all? Desires. Unreal. Unreal. Including desires. It's all the unreal aspect of the world. Because it doesn't last. So what are we concentrating on? Everything that's unreal. Shashi, everything unreal we're concentrating on. So he's saying we need to concentrate on what's real. Forget the unreal. It's all temporary. Doesn't last. See, so think about it. Name doesn't last. Fame doesn't last. Wealth doesn't last. Power doesn't last. Forget this knowledge. Even practically, it doesn't last. <laughs> what's here today is gone tomorrow. Beauty doesn't last. It's all subjective. And we're all concentrating on that. So he's saying stop concentrating on that and concentrate what's real. Then you will develop. So how do we concentrate on this? Ravi will tell us. In actual practice, you must make sure that you study the scripture daily. You derive the best results if you do so in the Satwik time, between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. Reflect upon what you study. Contemplate on the truths therein. Apply them in your life. Be consistent in your effort. The results of your endeavor show up gradually. You need to exercise a great deal of patience and perseverance before you become established in the eternal being that you are. They're saying to develop on this path, you need to study, reflect on the scriptural knowledge, preferably between four and six, because you'll absorb the most at that time, that's why. And it takes less effort. Absorb the knowledge, make it yours. Apply the knowledge in your life. You then live by this knowledge. You develop spiritually. You need to put in consistent effort, meaning do it every day. Only then you'll see the results. Even if you want to become healthy physically, you need to be consistent in your exercises. You have to be consistent in your food. You can't do it one day and not the other day. You, you go all out next day. It doesn't work. Similarly, you have to be consistent in your study. 
It'll take time. Within a few weeks, you'll start seeing the difference. You'll become established in the truths of life. You'll start living by this knowledge. And it works. You have to put in the effort. You have to give it a go. See, even right now, even if you're not studying, you only come into class, it still has some effect on your personality, doesn't it? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here every Sunday. It has some effect. So you can imagine if you put the effort in the way they're telling you to do it, how much the, the influence it'll have on you, how much more you'll absorb. That's something you have to do. Any questions? Most people lack the discipline of studying the scripture or listening to spiritual discourses. They seek instant ways and means to self-realization. And they believe that by directly plunging into meditation, they could attain enlightenment. Such people are far removed from divinity. Their intellect is obscured by a cloud of ignorance and a mind infested with desires. Whereas the pursuit of knowledge frees your mind of its desires, clears the cloud of ignorance. Your intellect begins to distinguish the external from the ephoral, and you perceive the play of divinity in all walks of life. There is far more power in your disciplined way of living than in most men in their assumed state of meditation. So you're saying most people lack the discipline and effort in studying. They don't want to put in the effort. They want a quick fix, quick way, self-realization. So they plunge directly into meditation for instant results to realization. It doesn't work. I mean, we've covered meditation before. We're not talking about meditation people do to temporarily calm the mind from a stressful day. We're not talking about that kind of meditation. You may be doing that, that's fine. Yeah. We're talking about meditation as a gateway to self-realization. That's the true purpose of meditation. It may have certain benefits on a daily basis on your everyday life. But the meditation we're talking about is specific to self-realization. So by plunging straight into meditation, it will not work. You will not get to that state. Why? Any idea why? Yeah, Meghna? Um, we have too many desires. Too many desires. You haven't eradicated your desires. How can the mind concentrate? Your thoughts are on other things. Mind is full of desires. These desires agitate you. And if they agitate you, you're not free to meditate. You can't fix your mind on one thought, which is what meditation is. The intellect fixes your mind on one thought. Om, om, the breath, whatever it may be. But it can't because it keeps jumping. You can't, you can't focus on a single thought. 
So it's not prepared for meditation. That's just what it's saying. So by plunging into meditation, you won't get the results. Also, they don't have knowledge. The intellect is full of ignorance. They don't understand what is real and unreal. So it's half-hearted. So this path, Yana Yoga, will clear, remove the ignorance, help you reduce your desires. You'll be able to live a far better life, progress further than one who is meditating. That's why they say don't meditate, not for that purpose anyway. Any questions? So do we understand the difference between bhakti and jnana yoga now? Is it clear? Is there any questions on that? Do you understand now what jnana yoga is? The difference between unreal and real. Having that knowledge and understanding. Concentrating on what is real and not on what is unreal. And how does, how does a jnani do that? Through knowledge. Through reflection. That's why they say you have to question everything. So this is a jnani yoga. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as that though. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the 13th chapter, verses eight to 12, it gives out 20 qualities that define the path of knowledge. Qualities that one must develop in order to advance nearer to the goal. So last, last class, we said the path of devotion, bhakti yoga, there are 35 qualities that was required for a person to develop, to be qualified as a devotee of God, and to develop these qualities. So a person who is a jnani, a man of knowledge, he has 20 qualities he has to develop. And they're in the Gita, chapter 13, verse 8 to 12. So what are these 20 qualities? So this helps you. Now, please don't think, you know what, these 20 qualities, there's no way in this lifetime I can develop these qualities, forget it. I'll just enjoy my Sunday mornings. I had enough of this nonsense, yeah? Pick up one quality. Develop that. When you develop one quality, you'll, you'll find three, four other qualities develop at the same time. Just concentrate on one. Because a lot of them, they're all interrelated. Yeah, Dharmesh? Concentrate on one. You do one, trust me, you've done, enough, you've done a lot. So we didn't go into detail in the 35 qualities of the Bhakti Yoga, but the 20 qualities of a jnana 
we're going to go in more detail because this is what the path we're all on. Yeah, we're we're studying the path of knowledge here in the yoga. So these twenty qualities are very important for us. So we're going to go into a little bit more detail. So I'm going to cover six or seven today. Yeah, qualities. So what's the first one? Humility. What is humility? We're going to discuss this as a group. What is humility? To show kindness. Mm -hmm. Kindness. Actually, it says having no pride, but it works as it means humility. Having no pride. Humility or having no pride. Without kind? ego. Sorry? Without ego. Without ego, yeah. Getting closer. No ego. Kindness. There is another quality, kindness, actually. Part of the 20. So you achieve name, wealth, status. What happens? You win the lottery. What happens? Dharmesh, what happens? You just said it. Your ego goes massive. Your ego goes massive. Yeah. You forget what to do. You forget where you came from. You forget what you're meant to do. You become famous. Your ego goes massive. Your ego goes massive. You begin to have a sense of superiority over others. A sense of vanity. So no pride. Other people may not have what you have, but they may have other superior qualities than you. Who is superior than who? Just because you have more wealth, name, status, doesn't mean anything. It means something to you and people who identify with that. It actually gives you a sense, a false sense of superiority. So you have to develop humility. Understand it is all fleeting, changing. It will soon go away. Remember, ultimately, this is all illusory. Only thing that is real is the self in you. So you have to develop humility or reduce your ego or that sense of superiority. That's quality number one. So what we're saying is that it may take a lifetime to do one quality, but you do take up one that you think you can develop and you be, all the others will follow automatically. What's the second one? Unpretentiousness, meaning modest, being modest, being humble. We all want to feel important in life. We all, it's all to do with ego here, because the ego is the body, mind, intellect. The body, mind, intellect is ego. All these qualities are to do with the body, mind, and intellect. 
We all want to feel important in life. You know who I am? I can, I can recite the Gita inside out. We all want to feel important. But we are who we are. Why do we need to impress people? Why is there this need to make people think we are more than what we really are? Why? Why is that need? Why do we need others' opinion? Problem is, we put ourselves in a higher pedestal than what we really are. And then who gets affected when we fall down? You do. So you yourself prop yourselves up and then you fall and you get hurt. Assess your own strength and weakness and be true to yourself. Unpretentiousness, modest, humble. Any questions on any other? Just raise your hand or speak up, yeah? That's quality number two. Quality number three, harmlessness, ahimsa, non-injury. What does that mean? What does that mean? Non-injury. Anybody? Yeah. Your actions do not harm anyone else or yourself. Okay. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, Kevin. I think it's a bit more than that. So it's exactly as I said, but not just anyone else. It's any any other like living entity. Okay, living entity. So no harm. Okay. Anybody else wants to add anything to that? What is ahimsa non-injury? Non-violence, non-killing. Non-violence. See, this is exactly the problem we have. We misunderstand this particular quality. It's been misunderstood. It does not mean not to kill or harm. People, we take this literally. That's why our Indians are so passive. You know, all over, how many, over hundreds of years we've been, India has been ruled by so many different groups of people. The Brits before that, it was someone else, the Mughals, because of this particular quality of ahimsa, non-injury. See, I think when the Mughals, what did they do? They realized the cow was sacred. So they put the cows in front so that, they, they, that they, they, they don't go and because the cow is sacred, they won't kill the cow in order to get to the enemy. Kel, you have something to add? Does it not need to be like partnered or grouped with your duty, right? So like in the Bhagavad, Arjun had to fight, but he didn't want to because like he didn't want to be violent. But then your duty also needs to come into play and you need to find... Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is Ahimsa, non-injury? 
It's an internal feeling of kindness. You may need to inflict injury to others because it's necessary. You may need to smack your child for its own good. It's running, it's gonna run across the road. What's gonna happen if it runs across the road and a bus hits it, hits the child? What is better, a smack or a bus hitting your child? You may say, no, I, I practice ahimsa. I can't smack my child. What's greater? Internally, you're doing it for a good purpose. Action is that you smack the child. Someone will say, what, what are you doing? You have to be cruel to be kind sometimes. This is ahimsa. It's not the action. It's how you feel inside. What are your intentions? Kashmiri border right now, what's happening? If they say, oh, ahimsa, no injury, Chinese would, have take, would be taking over the whole country. Pakistan will be taking over Kashmir. They want to protect their borders. They can't practice ahimsa. Internally, they may not want to kill. The soldiers may not say, I'm going to kill 10 people today. They don't go with that thought. But he has to do his duty, as Kevil said. Arjuna, as Kevil said, one moment. Arjuna didn't want to kill his uncles and cousins, but had to for the greater good. So his external actions may result in harming, injuring, even killing, but the intentions are for good. Uh, there's a good uh, analogy that I, someone once told me, um, which is if you have sort of uh, like a soldier at war and if you give them a gun and they kill however many people, uh, come back to your country and you sort of like praise them and give them medals, right? That same person, you give them a gun and not at war and they just go out like killing people in the street and then you crucify them, right? And the, the, the analogy is basically having the right intent and frame exactly. of mind performing those, that same action. Exactly. That's the difference. What is the intention behind the action? Not the action itself. This is Ahimsa. Do you understand the difference? Ratiban, you understand the difference? That's the third quality. So is that awareness? The fourth one is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Um, and sometimes you forget, yeah, you forgive other people that may be you know, harming you in one way or the other, but it's also 
about um, letting go and going back to the self effectively. Yeah. You forgive, so you let go. You're not actually being agitated by anyone else. So what gives you that understanding of forgiveness? Why would you forgive someone? What would make, what knowledge would make you understand that I need to forgive? Yeah. The self in them. Dharmesh. You understand that everyone has desires and they're only following their own desire. Yeah. But you know that they can't control their desires. So Absolutely. Being agitated by their desires is no point in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Carol, did you have something to add? Everyone acts based on their nature, their vastness. There's all different kinds of people in this world. So having the understanding, everyone behaves differently. See, we seem to understand with animals, everyone acts, all the animals act, behave differently. Lion kills, you don't say, oh, this lion killed, I can't believe it. That's his nature. So similarly, in human beings, we have to understand that everyone acts based on their vastness. So having this understanding allows you to forgive. Doesn't mean you encourage that person, but internally you forgive them. You have to rise above these petty things. Who gets agitated if you don't? Who gets agitated? So she, who gets agitated if you don't forgive? You agitate yourself. Absolutely. So somebody else is nonsense, you're affected. How is that reasonable? So develop this quality of forgiveness for your own good. So you're not mentally agitated. Move on. Understand this person is behaving based on their nature. Nothing I can do. I'm not going to let it affect me. Move on. Just this one quality we develop, your life can change. Your brother, your sister, your friend, your partner, forgive them. Can you imagine the harmony this can create if you develop this quality? No agitations for you. Rise above the petty things. He said that, she done this, only you suffer. Look at the world for what it is, not what you, not what you would like it to be. It will never be what you want it to be. World is the world. People are pe- the people. People are people. They'll behave like that, no matter what you think. So just accept and move on. So in the Bhagavad Gita, how comes um, Arjun couldn't accept Duridan for the way he was? Prabha, sorry, we can't hear you. So I was saying, so in the Bhagavad Gita, like obviously Arjun and them, how comes they couldn't forgive Duridan and accept him for his qualities and his nature? Because there was a greater, a greater need to bring goodness into the world. That's the reason. 
See, even forgiveness, it has to come with understanding and knowledge. Petty things we're talking about. A person murders someone, you can't just say, oh, I forgive you, you're acting based on your nature. It's against the law. So when we say forgive, we mean based on law. Arjuna had to fight even though he didn't want to. He, he, he internally may forgive Duryodhan, knowing that he's acting on his nature. But the greater good he has to see. Krishna said, you have to fight, otherwise evil will take over. Is that okay, Prabha? Yeah. So it's like, let's say two brothers are fighting over money. You know, it happens these days, for example. Yeah. Um, would you forgive them or would you know or would you not for the better good to teach them the lesson you know it depends it's difficult to take a particular situation and give a straight answer but it's the general idea of forgiveness and this particular topic is very deep so we're not going to go into it we can take it up on q a specifics one, one more quality will do. Uprightness, honesty, decency, respectfulness. A person who follows his conviction, you, get a, you set an unselfish goal and follow it to the best of your ability whilst living a truthful life. Be true to your conscience, to yourself. Honesty, decency not only to other people, but to yourself as well. What time is it? One more. Service to preceptor. What does that mean? Service to preceptor. To your guru. In the past, a student wants this knowledge. He approaches a guru who gives him this knowledge. There's nothing the student can give in return because the guru doesn't need anything. He's passed all his desires. He has no desire for anything. He's not gonna tell the student, get me this. I gave you this knowledge. He just gives the knowledge. So the student needs to have a sense of gratitude towards the guru. Now, guru can mean the sages who wrote this knowledge, the Upanishads, who wrote the Gita, the author of this book that we're studying, or whoever is giving you this knowledge, you have to have a sense of gratitude, sense of service, another quality. See, once again, this particular quality, what does it do? It reduces your own ego. It's not because the guru wants it. It's because it helps you to do, reduce your own ego. We'll leave it as that. We have 13 more qualities to go through. You can run a, one class on each quality here.
Any clarifications, any questions? So if you have any questions on uh, these qualities or more specifics, you know, after you thought about it, then we can take them up on Wednesday, yeah? Not a problem. Think about it. So you see, as we said, you know, a lot of these qualities go hand in hand. So when you pick one, you're actually developing two or three qualities at the same time. Hello, can you hear me? Any questions? Anika, can you hear me? Any questions? Hi. Megna, did you have a question? No, but someone is trying to ask a question. Oh, so who's asking a question? Pindi, are you asking a question? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah. Right. Um, I was trying. To, um, uh, sorry. I sorry. I joined quite, uh, a little bit late. Um, the question I had was, could you explain ahimsa a little bit more? Yeah. As we said, ahimsa is the intention, not the actual act. Your intentions is not to harm, but you may have to harm for the greater good. Yeah, it doesn't actually mean non-injury. But what the intention is behind the action. So you may, you know, if the Kashmiri border, they may have to kill people. But intention is not to kill. Okay. Ahinsa was one of uh, Buddha's followers as well, was he not? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. So yeah, so I was just, I, I had heard the word, I just didn't know that it had a meaning. None injury. But it's the intention behind it. Okay. Like the example we gave is that you may need to smack your child because you're going to run across the road. You're going to get hit by a bus. The intention is not to hit the child. It's for the greater good. Very true. So this is Ahimsa. Any other questions? Okay, we've covered quite a lot today. So next class, we're going to cover the other 13 qualities because I think they're all important for us and gives us some idea of the area we need to concentrate on. And then we'll take up the third yoga, karma yoga. And then that will be the end of this chapter. So Wednesday, we'll have a Q&A. If anybody uh, has any questions on what we've covered today, um, then we can go into more detail. Prabha, we can answer your question in more detail as well, yeah? Great. Thank you. Welcome. Have a lovely day. Thank you. This will be the end of class.